Welcome to livingpianos.com. Today I've got such a special treat for you. How to solidify musical performance. You know, you practice a piece, you get it learned, and then you want to perform it, but every time you play it, you can't count on it coming out the way you want it to. Maybe sometimes it doesn't practice, but you're afraid to even play it for anyone because it's just not dependable. Sometimes it comes out well, sometimes it doesn't. What can you do about a thing like that? Well, you know, a few years ago, I did a uh, video on how to practice a new piece on the piano. And what I did was, I took a piece randomly, I actually flipped through Chopin Mazurkas and found one I'd never even sight read through. And the first thing I did was I read through it, and then I started at the beginning learning it, and I practiced in front of you, showing you exactly how I approach a new piece. And what I do, and what I did on that video, you can reference it in the description below, is after reading through, get to work and just start from the beginning a very, very small phrase. As a matter of fact, just a couple of measures and look at just the right hand and figure out the notes, then figure out the rhythm, look at the fingering, and then the phrasing, and finally the expression. In other words, looking at all the details and get that memorized, just that little phrase, get it fluent. Same thing with the left hand, that same little phrase. Notes, rhythm, fingering, phrasing, and expression of the left hand. Just a little snippet. Get that memorized. Then put the hands together and get that memorized. And going on to the next section the same way, connecting as you go. And that's the first step. So what about after you've learned a whole piece and you got it memorized, but it's still not really solid? Or maybe it was solid at one point, but it's kind of deteriorated over time. And what can you do about a thing like that? Well. I've got an answer for you, and I thought what I'd do is a similar thing and practice in front of you, which is gonna be a real treat for me, because I've been dealing with technology all day. That's one thing about that you don't see the back end of what it takes to make these videos. And I really enjoy practicing the piano, and sometimes it's hard enough to have the time, so I'm gonna do it right now in front of you, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. What I'm going to do is I'm gonna take this Lisp B minor sonata I've been working on, and you know, we just moved here to the Waterloo Arts District and finally got air conditioning here. You notice that it's been tough making videos because it's been very hot. And uh, so I decided that I would learn this, kind of relearn this piece. And in doing so, um, I couldn't find my score. So I have my father's old score. And to give you an idea how old this is, this is made, it, it was, uh, I don't know what the year is, but it's $1.50. It's all tattered, but it's got all the notes in it. So the first thing you do, make sure you have your score. If you're going to be practicing, have the music and, of course, your trusty metronome. And you start from the beginning, or in this case, I don't start from the very beginning, because the beginning is very slow and predictable. It's nothing, nothing technical, technically oriented. So I'm going to go ahead and start from where the fun begins. And uh, I will check with the metronome when necessary. I won't necessarily use the metronome throughout, but any time there's any insecurity with tempo, or if you need to do metronome speeds, you want to have your metronome handy. So this is a great way to practice. No pedal, have the score handy, and play slowly and securely. And anything that isn't right in the pocket, you stop, you reference a score. Watch the process and see what goes on to solidify your musical performance.
Ah, so there was a missed octave. There were a couple of little slightly cracked notes, little finger slips that I'm not concerned with. They are kind of random, but this, I want to make sure I've got this solid. So I reference the score, find out exactly where I am, and I know what the notes are here, but I want to have it handy to find a good space to start, which is right here. So I'm going to do that a few times to clean that up. I hear a little bit of cracked notes here, and I want this to be totally clean. Notice I'm just segmenting. Instead of doing the... I'm just doing the... leaving out the bottom D. Now I add the D. But with a little hesitation to make sure I can nail it. The G was still sloppy. Did you hear that? That's why I need to stop on the G, give myself a moment to be secure, then play the D. I missed that G again. Did you hear it in the left hand? I can do that over and over and over and over again perfectly, but with a note after, that D after it, sometimes I miss it. Isn't that interesting? And you have to kind of cement things more than you think you have to. Look how many times I repeated it. I'm going to repeat it some more. It seems like I couldn't possibly miss it by adding one note to that. Let me go hesitate after that G so that I'm sure to get the G, and then I'll play the D after that. Not totally clean on the G. Can you believe it? So what's happening is I'm calling attention to that G, because that's the note I'm missing sometimes. So I have to really be able to land on it with total security and relaxation. You get to a point where you just kind of fall on the right notes. You don't make yourself push to the right notes. You fall on them just like, so it's totally relaxed. Pretty good. Let's see if I can get any context. Missing that one now. I'm missing notes all over the place. This is actually very treacherous. You kind of have to psych yourself up to be able to play this accurately. passage that I worked on. I'm going to start on and see if I can go ahead and get the next section cleanly. 
here you don't want to take any chances that I'm reinventing the score because you know if you practice out the music over and over and over again you can actually start playing slightly different things each time end up with a whole different piece if you're not careful so where is that the high E flat and it's amazing how long it can take <laughs> even for me because it just does. Okay. So I got through this section pretty well. You know, sometimes I will practice that octave section, um, you know, for an extended amount of time, but it's very tiring, you know, and sometimes it's better to practice it once or twice throughout the day or maybe a third time and not just keep pounding at it, you know, because it's extremely taxing on the muscles. So I'm gonna go on for now. The next section isn't too hard, so I'm gonna kind of skip to uh, the next section that's got some, some some notes in it that, that I've got to make sure that uh, the next place that really gets quick is uh, over in the odd tempo later on the D major section. What's going on? See there? And there again, I'm watching the score, noticing that the quarter rest comes in when the D sharp. That's when this chord comes off, is when the D sharp plays in the right hand. These little details, you'll find them when you really meticulously play slowly, with no pedal, with a score. You can really clean up your playing and really play the, the score accurately, get it really absorbed in a way that, even though I went through this and memorized it meticulously, to really get every detail in a 30-minute work, <laughs> you know, nobody's got a perfect memory. You've got to constantly reinforce, which is exactly what I'm doing now. Better than that, when I find places that, that aren't clean, I can spend some time cleaning them up, doing progressive metronome speeds, or hands separately, or whatever it takes. Continuing on, let's see what, what comes out, all right? I'm gonna start the same place again.
Aha. Okay, that was the second. This is a pattern that goes on and on and on through this whole section. And being able to get the pattern. It's the same pattern over and over in different keys. And incidentally, this all goes much faster. And this funny thing, playing it faster with some pedal is actually easier. I slow it down, any little imperfections are gonna stand out like a sore thumb. And that's the purpose of this slow, no pedal practice, to really be an honest performance, to really get that, all the notes, solidly under your fingers in a relaxed manner. Yeah. I'm going to start right there. So I, you know, the temptation is to go back further because it's so easy to start at the beginning of the section, but you've got to focus on where the problem is exactly. So now I'm starting on the third measure of this section. sound totally even, the triplets. The other ones I was happy with. So let's see what's going on. That last one, by the way, I've gone over it again and again and again. For some godforsaken reason, I have to keep revisiting the score and to clean it up. And the other, it's not any harder than the other ones, but I don't know why, but put, you gotta put the attention where it needs it, right? Practice it in chords is always helpful to hear the harmonies and the finger connections. And notice that as I play it each time, I bring out different voices. I might bring out the alto voice, you know. 
And then maybe I'll bring out the tenor voice. And that way you have control over everything and you really hear everything. When you go so fast, you know, these things don't come to your attention the same way. Let's see if I can get any context. I'm gonna take this whole section, see if I can get that last one cleanly. And I'm gonna take a, not such a slow tempo, so let's see if I can get it. I got it. Let's see if I can get it from memory this time. the left end, the bass line. So let me go through that slowly and bring out the bass. Now back to the beginning of this section, see if I can nail it. But you know, it didn't feel totally relaxed. And I want it to feel relaxed. I'm gonna try it again and see if I can play it with my shoulders relaxed, my back relaxed, no, no tension at all, and see if I can make it come out, even in that relaxed manner. Better, but it wasn't 100% relaxed. I'm gonna try stopping just before that last group to see if that gives me that moment to relax so that I can then incorporate that memory of the re relaxing right at that point when I'm playing it at the speed. It's like an infinite amount of relaxation in a speck of time. See, that made it relax. I'm gonna do the same thing with that little hesitation there. I didn't even hesitate that time, but it was still relaxed. So maybe I'm in good shape. I'll try it one more time, and I'm gonna think the hesitation, and maybe the very, very small, but it will be there in my head, so that I have that relaxation moment just before that last iteration of this pattern. This is all 
always drives me nuts. I can play these octaves fine, but the very last three. I think if I stop before the final chord, maybe I'll have that relaxation because it's muddy over there and it drives me nuts. that I'm not hearing all the time. And you know, th that last time I got it, but I felt this tension in my back. I want to get it with not any tension. three triplets once again are not totally clean. Just going, thinking just going slightly slower on them is helping to, to nail it because sometimes you get tight and you play some notes just a little bit too fast and it trips you up. better. Of course, you've got the 16th on the right hand to, make, to complicate things a bit, right? It wasn't clean, was it? That was a good one. And I'm doing something that um, I learned from Jeff Beagle. Jeff Beagle is a sensational pianist. He was a student of my father's, so I kind of grew up uh, seeing his development, and he's a stupendous artist. And he talks about a technique of putting the, the pink, the pardon me, the second finger kind of curled in, and it, that's what I just did. And it's a nice little tip for you when playing octaves to get that arch, because I talked about how. The power of the octave comes from the arch, the power of the arch. Because after all, you want to equalize your pinky, your little puny pinky, with your massively strong thumb. And that's where the arch comes in. And by rounding all your fingers, but particularly he likes to think of the second finger, it makes that arch really strong.
going really well. Um, it's all a little bit under tempo with no pedal, mind you. So, you know, it, it's a, it may sound a little bit labored, but man, it feels so good to solidify. Uh, so let me see if I can find where exactly I am. Yep. Yeah. So that's right. So this is a good place to start. See, that's what what. That's it. Sure, I got it. I missed one of those octaves that A did da 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 bomb. Ah, there it is. So you. So let me start here. This section is so treacherous. And by the way, it's got it in the recapitulation in a different key. And if ever there was a place to watch out for memory slips, it's here, because it's modulating by the, by the minute and you've got two versions of it in here. So you really have to think through this and understand it uh, <laughs> for the keynotes that you got to hit. Because you know, one of the hardest things there is, by the way, in memory, fingers have a kind of a memory all their own, although I've stated many times, you can't depend upon it all the time, but it definitely comes in handy. But when you have to make leaps, you have to know exactly where you're leaping. You have to know what the destination notes are. So it's a very intellectual process. Leaps are much more difficult to, ha to have in motor memory. That's why, for example, string players, being able to, to play very high notes you know, in rapid succession, going up and down, to, to get that motion of the arm and the wrist is maddeningly difficult. My daughter has uh, worked very, very hard and has amazing intonation uh, that took years and years to develop just knowing where it's going to go and landing in the right place. And this is akin to the same thing here. I missed that F. by the way, for those of you who study this piece, um, think the pinkies of the left hand. It really, really helps because the thumbs are going to come out loud once again. So you've got to you know, land on those pinkies are kind of the good guide notes for you. It sounds hard, but it's just tremolo. Uh, so what do we got now? Oh, uh, all this Richard Tativ is beautiful. I'll just play it because it's beautiful. 
and with a pedal and everything. I, I need a little bit of joy here. <laughs> the, the pleasure of the pedal and Richard's team lets me express it for a moment. So I just got a comment though those chords are like death knocking on the door, isn't it? So demonic. So this little passage, it's a bunch of diminished seventh chords in succession uh, by playing tritones in each hand. It's a theory lesson there for you. If any of you are interested, put it in the comments and I'll make a video explaining what I just said because it's a mouthful and if you're not really versed in theory, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But diminished seventh chords are built in the interval of a minor, of minor thirds. That's three half steps apart. And so that means that if you skip the middle note, you've got tritones, which are half octaves in each hand. And they go up chromatically like this. Of course, it's list, and what does he do? He get then on the next page, if I can turn these tattered pages, you got the same thing except higher. Very difficult, I, I think. I mean, maybe for some people, it, they don't have to work so hard, but I have to work really hard to, to be able to get those cleanly, because um, they're you know pretty fast, and you've got two notes in each hand and tritones going up chromatically, and you've got two different sets of them, which is so easy to confuse them. One of the tips I can give you for, once again, anybody studying this piece, is find groups of notes. For example, you can go, and then, so even if you play the whole group, the whole, run of tritones of diminished seventh chords, you're still thinking. And makes it much easier. Instead of a whole string of them, you kind of subdivide in your mind. But the audience doesn't even have to be aware of it. It's kind of in your head to just do, it's kind of that relaxing right in the middle of a passage. I keep talking about relaxation. You want to strive for relaxation in your practice. Um, now, how to achieve that? Uh, my father used to say that um, relaxation is about having enough strength, and this is absolutely true. When I played this piece years ago, I didn't have nearly the strength that I have now, so I had to really push in order to get things to come out. Eventually, you know, the fingers get stronger, and you can lay back and let it just come out. The other thing is that this Ebach piano, has so much sound and it's like it's like driving a high-end sports car because 
it doesn't take a lot of work to get the sound out. Now, interesting note, side note for you, I can use a little break anyway, mentally and physically, um, is that when this piano first came in, uh, it was voiced really super bright. And in this room, which is already pretty echoey, <laughs> um, it was really, really loud. And I used it as a learning experience. I learned, I, tried, I said, can I possibly make this piano sound good in this room as bright as it is? And I learned how to lighten it up and be able to control it. I still softened it down a bit. It's still on the bright side, but I love it because I learned how to control it. You know, Horowitz's piano was voiced super bright and he had a dazzling technique because he could play so lightly that anytime he put a little bit of effort in his piano, it was explosive. And he had that massive power in no small part because of the control he had playing a piano that was supercharged with a shallow dip of the action and very hard hammers that produced a bright sound. So now, getting back to these diminished seventh chords. There's also another way I want to show you how to work on this. We just had a little mishap with the cameras. You may notice a little difference in the shot, but I'm going to go on and persevere in the practice and finish up at least to the end of this section. This is the way you can practice it. And this is a method, by the way, that works great anytime you have more than one voice. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the top line legato and all the other notes, I'm going to play gently finger staccato like this. But it's not just the top line. The same thing can be done with the bottom line. Or the middle voices. And uh, finally, the bottom voice of the right hand. Not 100% clean, and I've worked on this passage, as I've said, so much. The hard part is when I go back to the little phrase just before that, why that should make any difference, I have no idea, but it does. Let's see if I can get it. I sort of got it. Unbelievable. If I just think those last two like that, it seems to really help.
So I know what I'm going to work on next time I practice is that passage right there. I could spend a lot of time. I don't want to take too much of your time. This has been enough practice session for you, don't you think? At the end of this is kind of the end of the movement, although it's all one big movement. So uh, just to show you, so uh, what you can hear where it goes at the end of this because it's so beautiful. And then it seamlessly transitions to the next section, and it goes on and on. This is the kind of piece that, trying to just practice the whole piece in one sitting takes quite a bit. Imagine when you have a whole program, and this is just one piece on the program. Organizing practice is the subject for another video, but for now, I'm Robert Estrin. This is livingpianos.com, your online piano resource. Really interested in how you like this format of watching me practice, because I could show you different techniques in videos like this with a little bit longer format. Until then, we'll see you. If you can ring the bell and thumbs up, that will spread these videos to more people. Thanks so much for joining me. See you next time.